0: Hello, and welcome to Spawned, a common sense, generally fun, and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Kristen Chase. And I'm Liz
1: Dumbeter. We're the co-founders of CoolMomPicks.com, And today, we are going to talk about tips for raising resilient kids and hopefully being more resilient parents ourselves in a world gone sideways. (laughs) We've got an amazing guest. Yes,
0: we do. And as always, we will close out our show with our Cool picks of the Week, and we'll be back with our awesome guest right after this. This episode of Spawned is brought to you by ParentEducate.com, where parents go to learn from an ever-growing library of over 80 online research-based courses. With ParentEducate.com, parents can quickly become fluent in infant, toddler, and preschool care through brief 20 to 30-minute courses on topics like brain development, constructive play, discipline, biting, and more. Parents who sign up for parenteducate.com's seven-day trial get free access to the entire catalog of courses for a whole week. The Child Care Education Institute, which by the way is the number one trainer of pre-K and daycare teachers, is behind parenteducate.com. So all courses are packed with the same information and techniques taught to leading early childhood educators. And all the courses are available 24-7 on any device and can be started and stopped at any time time. Head over to parenteducate.com to start your free seven-day trial today and be sure to use code CMP21 at checkout so you can save 20% after your trial ends. That's a free seven-day trial plus 20% off using the code CMP21 at parenteducate.com.
1: So let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Madeline Levine. She's been called the leading voice against the culture of overparenting and status obsession. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> we know about that. Yes. She's a psychologist, consultant, educator, and speaker. And you may know her from her two previous New York Times bestsellers, The Price of Privilege and Teach Your Children Well. And her newest book, just out in paperback, is called Ready or Not Preparing Our Kids to Thrive in an Uncertain*. And rapidly changing world. In it, she uses the latest developments in neuroscience, epigenetics, and extensive research to identify the skills our kids need to succeed. Plus, she offers actionable day-to-day tips for those of us parents who want to raise our kids to be prepared, enthusiastic, you know, all those good things to help them face an unknown future with confidence and optimism and Clearly, it could not have come at a better time, Kristen. (laughs) I
0: totally agree with you. Dr. Levine is also a co-founder of Challenge Success, which is a project of the Stanford Graduate School of Education that provides families and schools with practical research-based tools to create a more balanced and academically fulfilling life for kids. And, you know, you may have seen her already or heard her, but seen her on shows like The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, Nightline, as well as in papers like The New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today. She lives in San Francisco with her husband and is not only the proud mother of three grown sons, but she is a newly minted grandmother too. And we are so excited that she is making the time to talk with us today because we do definitely need her advice and her encouragement. Welcome Dr. Levine. Thank you.
2: Pleasure to be here.
0: Oh,
1: we're so glad to have you. I mean, we were discussing a little bit about how incredible this book is. You should know, like, I keep saying to my partner, like, oh, let me read you this. Oh, let me read. Oh, wait, you got to listen to this. Oh, oh, here's that thing we were talking. And he's like, I'm doing things. I'm working. And I'm like, no, no, no. I like keep running in with the book. And so it's that good. And I don't know really I say that, but I really love it. And I'm wondering what your inspiration was for I mean, oddly, it was first published days before the pandemic hit the U.S. And it's just so relevant now. But what made you think to write about this?
2: So um, I wasn't prescient. I did not know we were about to have a pandemic. The book came out two weeks before lockdown in California. So, you know, it's always Mm -hmm. like, did you know what was going to happen? And it's like, no, I had no idea what was going to happen. But. Even aside from COVID, it had become really clear to me that the skill set that we were still pounding away at, you know, get good grades, get into a good college, go into finance, that whole thing was expired. It was basically an expired paradigm. And I don't want to sound at all like I'm anti-intellectual. You know, I'm a Jewish girl from New York married to a doctor.
1: (laughs) My people. I'm not married to a doctor,
2: (laughs) but. (laughs) Right. So I'm not anti intellectual at all. I think what people need to realize is that for kids to actually do their best, they can't be stressed out, they can't be anxious, they can't be depressed. So It's really in the service of trying to get kids to function well. The reason I started it and I laughed as you were going over my history, especially Price of Privilege, which was written 15 years ago.
1: I remember it well. Mm -hmm. I mean, because that's right Mm -hmm. when my kids were born. Yeah, I
2: think it's when you were born from looking (laughs) at your your picture, but. And we just like
1: to say, Madeline, you're our new favorite guest. Congratulations. (laughs) We'll we'll send your trophy out to San Francisco right away.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So I wrote the book because, frankly, 15 years ago, Price of Privilege was supposed to be a small little book that nobody read. And it, it didn't end up that way. It ended up being a very popular book. And what I'm talking about now is really not all that different. And I think what happened to me personally was I got a little depressed, right? I've spent 20 years kind of on the road talking about the data. You know, I have my project at Stanford, the data we've collected about how kids are increasingly depressed and anxious. Increasingly, right? So can Mm -hmm. you imagine Mm -hmm. you write a book, it's really popular. You tell everybody back off a little bit because you're making your kids anxious and depressed. And 15 years later, you find out that they're even more anxious and depressed. Uh, Mm. So that was discouraging. And I wanted to talk to people who were not like my usual go-to, which would be psychologists, psychiatrists, educators. I wanted to talk to people who were really in the middle of change. And that ended up being the military and big business uh, let me just tell you one anecdote i ha- it won't be the last one i promise you but <laughs>
3: <We> <laughs> I'm, like
2: at- I'm asking yes. for permission early on so i have three sons who are grown and this is about five years ago before i started ready or not and i go to get a mortgage from a big bank and i have the woman who is the head of the mortgage department and my youngest son whose name is jeremy says hey can i go with you and i said sure so she and i are sitting talking for maybe an hour hour and a half max And Jeremy's just being who he is, which is um, like a really kind, sensitive person. Over the course of this hour, he says to me twice, Ma, I think the meter's running out. Can I put a quarter in for you? Sure. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, and you can tell my voice is always scratchy. So at one point he says, I saw there was tea out there was some honey. Can I get you a cup of tea? And then he turns to the head of the mortgage department and said, would you like one? Wow. He, he does that. She and I finish our conversation. I get my mortgage. She turns to my son and says, I want to hire you. You have a job. Here. <gasps> oh, my gosh. And yeah, well, it was, oh, my God, at the moment. So So here's the point of it, that. She knew nothing about him, Mm -hmm. not if he was in college, not if he was interested in banking, nothing. So, of course, I was, you know, sort of like taken aback. And I said, that's interesting. Tell me what made you offer him a job. He's not a banking person. And she said, I can teach him all of that. I can't teach him to be the kind of person he is. Mm. And he's the guy I want sitting next to me in the office, which he ended up being. Oh my gosh. And by the way, he hated banking so much that he's now a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not the point. The point was that it made incredibly real to me what all these people were saying about, I don't care what college you went to. I don't care if you're Phi Beta Kappa or not. I want to know that you have the capacity to work with other people, Mm -hmm. to be empathic, Mm -hmm. to be flexible. And out of that, I decided to write this book. Uh,
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. I have to jump in with a quick anecdote. So my (laughs) dad, who's been an executive recruiter for years in advertising, Uh and he wrote a blog for a long time about, you know, some of his stories over the years. And one of his most controversial and popular posts was never bring coffee on an interview. And he talked specifically about how rude it is to show up with like a Starbucks cup in your hand on an interview mm-hmm. because maybe the person you're interviewing with has just made a fresh pot of coffee just for you at eight in the morning and then you come in with your own. Or at minimum, at least you should call the person and say, I'm stopping at Starbucks. Can to get you one also? Right. And a lot of younger people were really angry. This is ridiculous. This is old fashioned. This is stupid. Well, it turns out he had plenty of HR people and senior hirers say to him, actually, this is something that's bothered me. Like it made me think the person was selfish or didn't think about us. So you just gave him validation. I'm so excited to tell
2: him. (laughs) (laughs) Please tell him. Yeah. You know, I I end up using a whole bunch of words in the book, like decent and just like old fashioned words, but they matter. I think they matter. Oh,
0: they really do. And not to follow up with yet another anecdote. Can you tell me? I like your anecdote. Madeline, this is your crowd we are anecdotal here.
1: <laughs> Plus, you know, we've all been stuck more or less at home for a while. Yeah, so, so we're, we're chatty. just like, Yeah,
2: it's almost two years. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> well,
1: you know, I have, I
0: have four kids. My middle two, I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old. They're both in the same school for the first time. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily call them competitive, but my son, who's 14, is very high achieving, very well liked, right? And my 12 year old, mm-hmm. who is also actually very high achieving and very well liked, was talking to me about feeling anxious about going to the same school, sure. feeling like she was going to compete with her brother, that people were going to hold her to that standard. You know, he's so smart. He gets everything very quickly, which he does more quickly than she does in some ways. And I said, you know, that's not the only kind of smart. That's not the only kind of intelligent. I mean, it's great Mm -hmm. that your brother could zip through math. But I was like, you bring people together. Mm -hmm. You make your friends all feel welcome. You talk Mm -hmm. to the kids who don't have any friends and you sit with them at lunch. You know, when people are upset, you feel people's pain. You're so empathic. I was like, those things are so valuable. They are so needed. And we can't feel as though our worth is only based on Our SAT scores. I'm talking about college, of course, but our SAT scores or our grades. There is so much more to who we are, and what you said, and also the book itself really made me think of that. So I just wanted to share, and I wanted to ask, right? Because what is fascinating to me is that you spoke to academics, military leaders, CEOs, (laughs) scientists, futurists. You talked to all these people, and they were saying we like to see these things. We like to see curiosity, creativity, flexibility, but. those qualities or skills or traits, however we want to describe them, are often put down. Right. You know, they're soft skills. And, you know, we see men in particular, not all men, but it's, it seems to lean that way, right? It's like you need computer coding and investment knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Like creativity, thinking outside the box. So can you talk more about that? Because you really saw these leaders saying, this is what we want.
2: Right. So in the book, I have quotes from the head of hiring at LinkedIn, you know, from the places that people think they want their children to work at, all saying the same thing. The technical part of most jobs, not all jobs, of most jobs can be taught. What can't be taught by the time somebody is 21, graduated from college and looking for a job is, I refuse to call them soft skills because I think, they're just as hard to master as Mm -hmm. calculus. Mm -hmm. And for your daughter, one of the things that I used to say to my kids all the time, they'd come home and say, so-and-so is so smart. And I'd say, smart in what way? Mm -hmm. And that became sort of a touchstone for understanding that there were all different kinds of smart. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. after a while, it wasn't, He's so smart because he's got A in social studies or whatever. It was like, think about in what way somebody's smart. And the notion that being a sensitive person is not valued. Here's my experience with that. I'm at a, I forget where I was, somewhere in the country. And somebody raises their hand and says to me, you know, basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm hearing what you say, but my daughter, and he describes a gal just like your daughter. He says, my daughter, she talks a lot her friends love her she figures out what they're going to do she knows what their problems are she's got advice and solutions and guidance it's all about talking and being empathic he says to me what in the world can she do with that when she graduates oh my gosh
1: (laughs) we just want real jerks out there in the world frankly like well wow
2: It was so funny to ask that question of a psychologist, you know, so I get to look at him and say, oh, I don't know what she could do. Maybe she could be a psychologist.
1: (laughs) Well, I like that you actually refer to these kinds of things like empathy, flexibility, critical thinking, curiosity, creativity. I like that you call them foundational skills as opposed to soft skills. I think that's very helpful Mm -hmm. for us to see them as anchors for what our kids need. I think what was encouraging to me in the the book is your assurance that we can actually teach these things and i know you're saying before 21 but like what are some ways that parents can make sure that they are valuing these skills and instilling them in our kids
2: so your question made me think of how i raised my own kids my oldest boy was you know the, the standard suburban terrific student athlete my middle kid was very creative and my youngest kid was totally hands-on. And it would have been super easy, now we're talking 20 years ago, because the student-athlete had all kinds of things to go to. You know, in addition to his athletics, it was on a roll and this roll and that roll. So it would have been easy to spend most of my time doing those things, which of course are gratifying to us as moms. Like, oh, my kid is smart and except we're getting away from that concept of SMART. But it was very important to me, and I think it's probably the best thing I did as a mother, that whenever one kid had something, the whole family went. So for my oldest kid, it was the tournament. And for my middle kid, it was the play he was in. And for my youngest kid, it was the engineering project that he had. I think sometimes we underestimate how much nonverbal communication there is in a household. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really concrete place where you can take a look at how you're spending your time and your conversation, by the way, whether your dinner conversation is all about the kid who's doing well and even if you think it's not like I've been asked to sit at dinner with a lot of people who insist that they don't talk about this stuff and they don't make a big deal out of it. Not so much anymore, but I used to sit for a couple of days at dinner and they were right. They didn't talk about their kids' accomplishment. They talked about the guy down the block who just got a Tesla. Or who just was hired by (laughs) Goldman Sachs. So they didn't have to talk directly to the kid. Oh, you're so smart. The the whole conversation was focused on this narrow area of achievement, which is Mm -hmm. academic success and then basically financial success. I'm
1: glad you brought that up because I really want to go more into this, that when we talk about kids and success and achievement and overachievement, like you've talked about going into finance or being a lawyer or being a doctor. And sometimes those things kind of sound like upper class problems, right? like we don't mm-hmm. we all have like Harvard bound kids who are going to be lawyers. Maybe they will, but maybe they won't. I think what's interesting about the book is that you kind of see the things that prime kids for success universally across all different backgrounds and socioeconomic status and geographically. Like, you know, you talk to military people, you talk to CEOs. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if you can talk about the idea of priming kids for success,
2: regardless of what their career might be. So, uh, by the way, none of my kids went to Harvard. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Just to be clear about that. And it's an important point in passing, which is to my kids, lawyers, ones in the arts, they didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Princeton. Our research is, does it make a difference? Maybe a little bit. Nowhere near the difference that people assume that that makes. Mm -hmm. And and that's Mm -hmm. such an important point, because if you're sacrificing your kid's mental health, and by the way, we'll talk about that in a minute, why I think this is tied to mental health. Mm -hmm. But if you're sacrificing your kid's mental health to get them wherever you think is the most competitive place, it doesn't matter what they end up doing. They're not a good partner. They're not happy in their own skin. They don't feel they made their own choices about life. So this idea of, you know, you get into Harvard at any cost. I had a patient, and this is an example of why I think it's tied to mental health. A young man who was taking advanced calculus, not calculus, advanced calculus, and his father was graphing his grades on a daily basis. Oh, goodness. uh, Right This kid is 18 in advanced calculus, and his father doesn't trust him to keep track of his own grades. And why did I see the kid? He ended up with what we call trichotillomania. He was pulling out all his eyebrows and his hair and his eyelashes, which is tied to anxiety. That's an example of, I'm sure that kid got in somewhere very prestigious, but what was the cost? And, And we just saw that with that Varsity Blues scandal, where people, paid half a million dollars, a million dollars to get their kids into schools. I mean, there are so many issues around integrity and morals and mental health and what's valued. And the reason I went to the military and specifically to the Navy SEALs, I was trying to think who would be the most resilient people in the world? Well, Navy SEALs would be one of them. The other group that's pretty darn resilient are immigrants. Mm. When you were talking earlier about, you know, this upper middle class. Some of it is, I mean, for kids in absolute poverty with no resources, they have other fish to fry. There are other issues, structural and institutional issues, but it's not just upper middle-class kids. You see the same thing in immigrant families. You see the same thing in working-class families. So I just want to clarify that because it challenged success. We started out almost exclusively with public schools, but they were public-private schools, Mm -hmm. And now it's not like that anymore. We are half public schools where the majority of kids are on assistance. Mm. So the basic structure of you learn better when you're not messed up. You learn better when you can think straight. You learn better when your parents are supportive of you because you're going to hit bumps. That's true for all kids.
1: And I just want to clarify that certainly there are immigrants who are also upper middle class and that there's a great diversity of immigrants that come into the country. But I love your point that it doesn't matter really where you come from, where you live or where you're going, Mm -hmm. that this is all life skills that are important to instill in our kids and kind of comes back, Kristen, to the conversation we had last week about kindness and siblings and fighting and teaching kids to be more empathic.
0: I mean, I can't stop thinking about Melinda's book. Uh, um, Melinda Moyer? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because all of those things right those are the things that I know I personally value and as we've talked about already we talked about last week those are the hardest things like you said Madeline like we can teach you how to do algebra right, right? but can we teach you to care and go help someone who is feeling lonely sitting on a bench at their school well
2: Kristen we, you know? we can yeah the whole point of this book is we can teach that yes these things were assumed to be like you were a resilient person or you weren't mm-hmm. you were an empathic person or you weren't and that's just not true. Mm -hmm. If you talk to the people who train Navy SEALs, I spent a lot of time with the vice chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It was amazing how many people actually wanted to talk about this. You find out that it's not the people that did the best, you know, looked like the strongest candidates. It's people who had a whole different skill set. And I think the other way to think about the importance of this is, you know, I love my work. I'm like old, I'm still doing the same. (laughs) Work because I absolutely love it, but it's not my whole life. So I'm also a wife. I'm also a friend. I'm also a daughter. I'm also a mother. Now I'm a grandmother. So this entire focus on cultivating skills for your work life, that's fine, but it's just like a piece of what life hopefully looks like for you because you're in relationships and you have other interests and it's not just about getting high grades. It's about having good relationships.
0: And we model that too, I think, for our kids. Absolutely. When our kids see us being a good friend, being a good partner, enjoying our own you know, soft fascination hobbies, enjoying puzzles. Or taking another language, they see that we are well-rounded individuals with interests and hobbies and passions. That sets right. a good example for our kids. And actually, let's talk a little bit about that because I think, you know, you, you go in your chapter of Your Brain on Uncertainty, which really addresses some of the parental struggles that we all are facing. You know, mm-hmm. parents are saying things like, I know my kids need to eat more, sleep more, be on their phone less. I can't seem to help them make the change. I believe that. There is something about setting an example yourself and, you know, taking a look in the mirror and saying, Am I modeling, especially for young kids, but even for older kids too? Am I doing that as well? Mm -hmm. But I want to know more like, what's happening with us here? Like, how do we overcome that? Because there are a fair amount of parents who are like, Okay, this isn't good. I know I need to change, but. I can't seem to get that wave of motivation Mm -hmm. and energy over to my
2: kids. So people have often asked me, what do I do? I can't stand to see my child unhappy. And my answer to that, my crabby old answer to that is, then you're in the wrong profession. Oh God. Is
1: that the quote or what, Kristen? Yeah, Yeah. you're
2: in the wrong (laughs) profession. You know, we expect so much from our kids and yet we're willing to give ourselves a pass on what data is clear about at this point. Here's how I think about this. Parents have, for whatever reason, multiple reasons, decided to do this intensive parenting, pour their resources, their heart, their time into their children. There are pluses and minuses to that. Is it a distraction from our own isolation? How come our kids have become that critical to our life? And I think there's question about that. But I also think the notion that you have to do everything for your kid only leads to problems for your kid down the line. Self-care is child care. Period. All the questions about my kid, my kid, my kid really at the end of the day comes down to, so how are you doing? Mm. If you're doing, you've got six children between you. That we know (laughs) of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Your children more or less will do how you're doing. That's the self-care as child care. And look, we have just come through the most difficult 18 months imaginable everybody says, well, you know, there was a war and there was the Great Depression. That's true. But I think what made this different was the isolation. Even during wars where there's a higher body count, you know, I remember the stories my mom used to tell me of all the women getting together and going to the Victory Garden Mm -hmm. to raise vegetables or selling war bonds together. And we didn't have that. We were unbelievably isolated. And you know, I think it takes a soft hand right now, even though I can, you know, be crabby or direct, let's call it direct. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which is
1: another foundational skill in my book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mine too. Um, I think it's been an unbelievably difficult time for mothers. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people now need to be saying, do this, do that, do this, do that. Because at the beginning of lockdown, people would say, what do we do? What do we do? And I would say, your job is to get through this. And at the beginning of lockdown, you know, I'm Zooming, many people in the Q&A would say, you know, Dr. Levine, that's kind of a low bar just to get through it. And I'm like, yep, that's my bar, get through it. Mm. And it still is. And Mm -hmm. nobody asks me or says anymore that's a low bar. I I think for those of us who have gotten through with our families reasonably intact and our mental health reasonably intact, we've done a good job.
1: Yeah, I just saw a friend on social media who said, I feel like I wasted the last 16 months. And I said, you know... Whenever I think that way, I remind myself if I got my kids out of this relatively happy and relatively sane Mm -hmm. and relatively healthy, then that was not time wasted. That was important. But I want to get back to something you said, which is really interesting about how we do is how our kids do. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I like about the book is you really focus on this idea of resilient and raising resilient kids in anxious times. And I would think that raising a resilient kid means that we give them the tools to get past our crap, for lack of a better word, that even if I'm anxious just even if I have my own issues or my own struggles that our kids have the tools to do better. Does that sound fair?
2: Yeah, it does. And, you know, what is resilience? I mean, the word resilience gets thrown around a lot. And I don't think people have a really good understanding of what it is. Resilience is, you're not born with it. There is no resilience gene. Resilience is cultivated just like empathy and math skills. Nobody's resilient in all categories. And the one thing that's for certain is that your kid will run into trouble. The last talk I gave out here in San Francisco had a big audience, maybe five, 600 people. And for whatever reason, I just asked how many people in the audience have not had a divorce, a loss, a serious illness, an accident, a bankruptcy, you know, and out of that five, 600 people, one person raised their hand. Oh my gosh.
1: Wow. And they probably were not being honest.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they were being honest or not. I was just really worried about her walking into the parking lot afterwards. Oh because- gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> dark, Madeline, dark. Right. right. Yeah, that's me. Um, and so that's the certainty that your kids will hit really significant bumps in their life. And I think that needs to be taken as seriously if not more seriously frankly than what their salary is or what the prestige of their job is they're going to have to have relationships they're going to be mothers like all of us are and that's a skill set of its own but bouncing back from tragedy and from disruption and from all the things that happen over the course of a lifetime is a skill set and we do nothing about it Here are a couple of things that the Navy SEALs consider really important. Self-regulation, which Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. an adolescent psychologist for years, I said there is nothing more important than self-regulation because every kid I saw in my 40 years of treating teenagers was a failure in self-regulation. Driving too fast, uh, shoplifting, cutting, all, all the things that teenagers come to therapy for were failures in self-regulation. So that's a big one. Can you learn self-regulation? Yes, but you need help with it. And if you're talking about Navy SEALs, they can bring their blood pressure down. They can bring their breathing down. They do this thing called box breathing. And I was laughing in my last conversation because every book I've written, I've said, you know, meditation's a really good thing. And I don't meditate. I just you know, I get spilkous. I can't sit still that long.
1: (laughs) That's me too. Oh my gosh. Maybe it's like a New York Jewish thing. I cannot, I know I have a really hard time with that. Maybe it
2: is, but so you learn (laughs) another way to lower your anxiety. So if it's not meditation, then it's deep breathing, Mm -hmm. taking a walk around the block. For me, it's been binge watching Bosch for the (laughs) the last few (laughs) weeks. You find some way to bring yourself down. That's the first thing that the SEALs talk about. They also talk about flexibility, right? You land and you're supposed to capture bin Laden and the other helicopter crashes. You can't panic. What are you going to do next? And I think Mm. the most important thing for kids, for all of us, in this period of time has been find the places where you have a little bit of control because, you know, you mentioned that chapter in the book, your brain is a prediction machine. That's all it wants to do is predict. And if you think about the course of a day, you know, when your kids get up, you know what they like for breakfast, you know, who's going to be slow getting out of the house, you know, where to take them to school, you know, where to get your groceries. And imagine if you didn't know any of that, if every one of those things was unknown, you know, you'd go crazy, but basically you wouldn't be able to do anything. And that's why I say the brain likes prediction. So you have a little bandwidth, for things that don't go the way they belong. And that's where you need to be flexible and creative. And I think one way parents can do that with their kids is to be curious. Mm -hmm. Is there another way to look at that? Would somebody have a different perspective? You know, the kind of thinking that's not about, oh, you got the answer right. Yes. A quick thing on that Carol Dweck mindset Yes, important psychologist, you know, and she took these two groups of kids, put them in two different rooms, started giving them puzzles before so easy puzzles they all could do. And then she puts them in two different rooms. They're young, they're like four. And she tells one group how smart, they're brilliant, they're great puzzle solvers, you know, and the other group (laughs) she says nothing to. And it's the group that she says nothing to, and this has been duplicated over and over, that does better. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they don't have the pressure of, oh, she said I was brilliant, and now there's anxiety attached to their performance. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can cultivate this kind of flexibility. It's like saying smart in what way. It's helping your kids to see things in different ways and listening to them. And the last really strong point I want to make is 40 years of seeing teenagers, no teenager has ever walked into my office and said, you know, my problem is my parents just listen too much. <laughs> 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 nobody, nobody has said that. Uh. And they all say my parents talk too much, of course. And I think we ought to, you know, zip it for a bit because our kids have had to process so much through this. And as to your friend who said he didn't get anything out of the pandemic, then that becomes a waste of a pandemic. You should have gotten something out of this. You should have learned something about yourself. You should have taken the opportunity to figure out something in your life. And that's another seal thing, which is what do you take away from the challenge? The challenge should make you stronger, not weaker.
1: And what a great reminder for those of us who are thinking, oh, gosh, all these months went by and I didn't write the book. I didn't start the business. (laughs) I didn't open the company. You know, if we're looking at our kids and thinking, well, they didn't pass math or They're not where they should be in reading. Like, they probably got a lot out of it, too. It's just a (laughs) different set of skills. And, I mean, we could talk about this all day. The book is so good. It's so comprehensive. It's called Ready or Not, Preparing Our Kids to Thrive in an Uncertain and Rapidly Changing World. It's now available in paperback. You can learn more from Madeline at madelinelevine.com. It's a comprehensive book, but you can kind of jump around. It's wonderful. And I just love that the last section is called thriving in the new normal. If you want to know how positive it ends up and how much really actionable, wonderful advice there is. So we're grateful for you and for what you wrote. I think this is going to help a lot of parents.
2: Thank you, Liz. Thank you,
1: Kristen. And we'll be back with our cool picks of the week right after this. So,
0: Liz, I cannot tell you how much my kids love the Vitapod machine from our sponsor. (laughs) Okay. So, for
1: our listeners who have followed us on Instagram and watched Kristen's really funny videos with her kids about Vitapod, I just want to say for real, (laughs) offline, having nothing to do with anything, she's like, Liz, this thing is awesome. This is so cool. This is so great. She's, like, sending me photos of it. She's, like, really into it. Yes. This is so fun. Yeah.
0: I can't believe it. I mean, kitchen gadgets. We all love kitchen gadgets. Gadgets. but it's so cool. I mean, Bridget uses it every morning. She makes herself a delicious like hydration drink and gets started with her online school and she really likes it. And if people haven't seen the Vitapod machine, you can head over obviously to our Instagram or our Facebook. But what it is, it's this cool machine that makes tasty drinks full of vitamins and nutrients like with just a simple recyclable
1: pod right so it's, it's kind of like the pod coffee maker type machines meets like the water filtration slash bubbly soda machines in a way right like you can yeah. make individual drinks exactly right no bubbly water although right,
0: maybe, not bubbly maybe that's water. something they'll do at some point but yeah it's it's totally a water filter and then you pop this pod in and it makes really tasty Drinks. And so, what's interesting, right, is these pods were formulated by human health scientists. So, they've got your health in mind. None of them contain sugar. So, actually, I'll be honest, that's why I'm totally fine with Bridget making these every day. I know she's getting hydrated. For some reason, my kids, it's tough to get them to drink water. So, this is great. I have
1: that too. I'm always telling Sage, like, she'll be like, I'm not feeling great. And I'll be like, Did you drink anything today? And she'll be like, Uh, but like, they think water is boring. And I know there's some people who are like, Well, just drink more water. But like, you know, yeah. some kids will not drink if it's not water. And I don't want to give her like sports drinks all the time or like, right, drinks all the time. right. But even if she can just put a lemon or put some flavor or something in it, it feels like a drink and not yes, like water. I agree with you. Completely. And so the only pod that actually has sugar is their
0: sports pod, right? Because you actually need sugar to help aid recovery. But they have an energy one. It works, just saying. Yeah, are
1: you on that now?
0: (laughs) I am not. Are you speaking
1: at three times speed?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know, no, I am not on it now. I actually like the Hydrate myself and they have a great offer for our spawn listeners. So if you go to vitapodworld.com, that's V-I-T-A podworld.com, You can use the code CMP10. You can get $10 off your own machine or a starter kit. So seriously, just check it out. I have to say, I am pleasantly surprised at how much my kids are using it. And it takes up a little space, but we are loving it. It's vitapodworld.com. Use CMP10 for $10 off your own Vitapod machine or the starter kit. It really is very
1: cool. I may use our code and get one for myself. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Well, it's time for Cool Picks of the Week! Cool Picks of the Week! And you are <laughs>
0: our guest. You get to go first, so we can't wait to hear what you've got.
2: Okay, well, so my cool tip is Nandy Bushell. She's the 11 year old who drummed with the Foo Fighters. Yeah. Oh, yes. It's California. You got to watch it. You know, I was going to say like Amanda Gorman because I was so impressed with her, but this gal is laughing. Yes. You know, the
1: Foo Fighters launched a new album last year, and one of their big hits from it is called Waiting on a War. And my daughter is the lead in the video. You're kidding. <laughs> so we love all Foo Fighters things around <laughs> yes, here. Yes, we do. We are yeah. big <laughs> Foo Fighters fans.
0: I,
2: I, I struck it rich. I didn't know. That You must be so excited. Oh,
1: yeah, it's pretty cool. I mean, she doesn't get it. She's like whatever Gen X mom. But, <laughs> but she's like the little girl in the hoodie walking through the post-apocalyptic landscape. But Nandy oh. Bushell is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you brought her up. Like, she gives me joy every time I watch her. And what a great reminder. I love that.
2: And I just want to add into it that the reason it's so cool to me is she's 11. And we act like kids are so fragile and need so much help and are so Helpless to do stuff. And then you see an 11 year old kid who could do that.
1: Yes. And by the way, we should direct you to Pepper Pursley, who we had on our show mm. recently, uh-huh. another young woman about the same age who is now actually calling wnba games she's so into wow. sports and so well-spoken and knowledgeable and charismatic it's like i i love seeing what these like preteens are doing it's pretty <laughs> it's yeah. amazing well what about you liz what's your cool pick of the week okay so speaking of things that give me joy let's have okay. coffee for a minute okay. so i'm like cold brew obsessed and it's really expensive Yes, it is. like when you get it at starbucks or wherever and i love supporting our local coffee places i go there as much as possible however because i love cold brew so much a couple years ago for i think for my birthday john got me the best ever cold brew maker and he spent all this time researching like through wire cutter and cross-referencing like amazon (laughs) reviews and like and i opened the box and there's like this giant mason jar looking thing And I have a weird aversion to mason jars for some reason. Yeah, you do. That is a known thing. You don't like it. Yeah, I don't. (laughs) I don't know why. It's really weird. And the company is called like Country Line Kitchen Store or something like that. And I was like, what the heck is, why would you give me this? Let me tell you guys. It is awesome. It is fantastic. It's this really simple, giant cold brew maker with a filter. And I will link it up. You can get it on Amazon. It's so good. It's the best one. It really is. And I've tried all the fancy ones that PR people have sent us that look really pretty and are elegant that I would normally have bought. They're not as good. I'm looking at the photo. That is a gigantic mason jar. I'm I know. It's really Well, except the thing is because the filter filled with coffee takes up so much of the space, you know, displaces right. the liquid, right. as we know from our physics classes. So when you pull that out, it's actually only like half a container of coffee, which we then transfer into right. a smaller container to keep in the fridge. It's a whole thing. I'm really into making my own cold brew. It saves us a lot of money and I'll link yes. it up on our podcast page because it's really cool. And that is my cool pick of the week, cold coffee. All right. I'm down. How about you, Kristen? What you got for us this week? Well, you
0: know, I've just been looking at my own screen time lately. And as someone who works on social media, you know, it's a little tricky. The phone time is tricky because you're working and you just kind of feel like you always have a phone in your hand. So I actually invested in one of those penguin minis, those little tiny books. We featured them early in 2020. And they're basically YA books that are the size of your palm. Like you can fit them mm. in your hand. They're that tiny. Yeah, they're cute. And they're
1: nicely designed. They are
0: beautifully designed. And I still don't know how they do it. (laughs) But they, they fit entire books in these little tiny books. And I'm actually reading I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter. I am hooked. And I keep it in my purse. And so I'm off my phone. I know that I can get books on my phone. I used to do that, actually. But I just wanted to give myself a break. So I have to say, if you're trying to do that, just pop one of those in your bag. The only thing I can't figure out, I really don't want to dog ear the pages. So if someone has an idea for how to bookmark those tiny, tiny little books with the, very, the, thin, the pages are very thin. That's mm. really how they do it. Anyway, we'll link them up. They've added a bunch since they first launched, but that's my cool pick. Tiny little books. I
1: love that. Well, between the video, the coffee and the books, yeah. I think I have my plans for the weekend now. All right. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawn. Huge thanks to our amazing guest, Madeline. We're really lucky to have had you. And thanks to our awesome engineer, John Bowen. And hey, if you've got a minute, and can leave us a five-star review we greatly appreciate your time by doing that and subscribing and downloading our episodes it helps other listeners like you find us besides as we learned last week you can leave a review all in positive emojis (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) lollipops and pandas yes you absolutely can do that you can also just subscribe you can download our episodes it really helps other listeners like you find us and make sure you hop over to our spawn podcast community on Facebook where we chat about the show topics and lots of other things too, as well as a recipe rescue group and out tech your kids. Thanks so much for listening to Spawn. This is Kristen and this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye! this is a little Spawned Extra brought to you by Entangled Publishing. Author Robin Bielman is chatting with me today. Her book, Written for You, just came out a couple of weeks ago. Okay, Robin, important life-changing question just to start things off on the very deep side. What's your coffee drink of choice? And do you have (laughs) any
3: rules about your coffee? Great question. I have to have coffee every single day, of course, but I am one of those people who likes a little coffee with her sweet So I'm like a cafe mocha girl or an ice blended girl. Occasionally I'll do like a vanilla Americano, especially on a cold day when I want something warm, but I'm definitely like sweet coffee drinks. And there are no rules for me. I definitely have one every morning, need my coffee fix to get me through the day. But I'll often like meet a friend even late in the afternoon for coffee. I love it any time of day. It doesn't really affect me, the caffeine anyway too much. I think I'm immune to it at this point. So I love it all day.
0: Cam Rat. Radcliffe is the best name ever. And by the way, it is a total hot guy name. Just, I don't know, Cam Radcliffe. So where do you find the names of your characters?
3: Thank you so much. I love his name too. And naming characters actually can be really hard. I'll find names like in the opening credits of TV shows or movies, and then I'll jot them down or in magazine articles or I'll overhear a name that I really like. And then probably one of my favorite websites is the top 100 or 1000 baby names. And I will scroll through that list constantly just trying to find just the right name for my characters, because it's definitely not easy, you know, and it has to be the right name for that character. So I might find a name that I love, but doesn't fit the character. So I'll jot it down and save it for later. So is
0: total hot guy name a thing? Or did I just make that up?
3: It is totally a thing. Absolutely. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there are certain names that I hear and I just immediately think, oh my God, that guy is like good looking or hot, you know, names like, I don't know, Shane and Luke, some of my favorites, Finn, Zane, Theo. I don't know. There's just names that you just think, ooh, I want to see what this guy looks like. Or you conjure up, you know, an image in your head. So it's totally a thing. Absolutely. You know, I'm reluctant to say that there are some names that aren't. Hot, you know, in case somebody has a brother, sister, significant other, but like the name Dick isn't probably super hot, not as hot as those others.
0: I was thinking our apologies to the Bartholomews in the world. Right.
3: Exactly. <laughs> apologies. Absolutely. Cause everybody, you know what, everybody has their own thing and, and what they find appealing. And that's, what's really great about writing too, is that I hope somebody can find something in every character, whether it's their name or a personality trait or something, we're all unique and different. So. Yeah. Your
0: story is a rom-com within a romance. So I know this is a tough question, maybe even harder than the coffee question. <laughs> what is your all-time favorite rom-com?
3: Oh my gosh, I can only pick one. My all-time favorite. Mm. Favorite rom-com probably is Legally Blonde. That would probably take the top spot. Can't argue with that. That's a great one. (laughs) Yeah. And I actually have a quote in my new release from Legally Blonde. So uh, shout out to that movie. And it gave me, I think, one of my cutest lines in the book.
0: Well, people are going to have to grab your book written for you to see that. That's awesome. Okay. So let's talk about writer's block. It stinks. It really stinks. So what shakes you out of a writer's block?
3: Oh my gosh. Writer's block is the worst. And I have suffered from it for sure. And especially these past 18 months with, you know, everything going on in the world, it's been really tough. It's been tough to feel creative. And usually when I'm down sitting at my computer and the words just aren't flowing, typically I'll just close my laptop and take a couple days to just kind of step away from the story and just let my characters naturally just kind of come to me. I don't put any pressure on myself, you know, to get words down on the page. I just let my mind just go and just relax for a couple of days. And then usually I'm able to get back on track. If that doesn't work, then I'll usually reach out to a writer friend. I'm so blessed and lucky to have a really great group of writer pals. And they always know like exactly what my problem is or how to help me fix it and give really great suggestions that get me excited to sit back down and write again.
0: So you have been quoted as saying that you love writing romances that put a smile on the reader's face. I kind of want to know what's the formula.
3: So is it more sweet than sexy or more sexy than sweet? I think the formula probably is more sweet than sexy with a side of humor. You know, sometimes when I'm writing, I crack myself up. I have no idea if I crack anyone else up, but I figure if I'm cracking myself up, maybe someone else also find it humorous. And basically I just hope that writing characters who feel real and who readers can root for, then that will have them smiling and at least especially at the end of the book when my hero and heroine always get there happily ever after.
0: For more great books, you can head over to EntangledPublishing.com. Make sure you're following Robin on Instagram. She's Robin underscore Beelman. That's B-I-E-L-M-A-N. And grab your copy of Robin's new book written for you right now at Amazon.com.